Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is author J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrant's Wife. In 1913, a middle-class girl and a Greek immigrant defy her parents and buck society by eloping. But when TB rips them apart, they give up everything, including each other, for their love and for their child. J.B. Harris lives in Massachusetts with her husband, three kids, and two dogs. Her short fiction has appeared in such publications as Boston Literary Journal, The Beacon Street Review, and Puckerbrush Review. She was recently named a finalist in both the 2022 HAL Prize in Fiction and the WOW Spring 22 Flash Fiction Contest. The Immigrant's Wife is her debut novel, but will not be her last. J.B. Harris, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, what is the Puckerbrush Review? <laughs> it is a journal um, put out by um, a group in Maine. It's, uh, I think it's quarterly, and they um, took on my story and printed it there. A little bit of a weird name, but a journal nonetheless. So I'm just wondering, is that the name of a town or a particular person? Or is that just an invented think so. name? I think, it's, I think it's just an invented name um, from the journal. I believe it's at a school. There might have been some story behind it, but I am not familiar with it. Well, it has definitely has a literary ring to it. And as uh, someone reading a script, I need to make sure that I read it correctly. <laughs> Pucker brush review. Very good. So uh, The Immigrant's Wife, how, how long did it take you to, uh, to write this novel? It took me a long time, Lawrence. It was 11 years. But there's a little caveat with that. I had three young children in a full-time job when I started. So it was about three hours a week um, in the first probably nine years of the book. Wow. Wow. Jeez, that is a long time. You know, I've talked to some people writing their first novels. Uh, and there was a gentleman. He's actually the president of a college. And he's written nonfiction books that have sold very well. He's a constitutional law expert. But his novel was in development for over 30 years. So I, My goodness. Yeah, I can't imagine. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, the problem with an 11 years to produce a novel, you know, um, hopefully you can get a rhythm in writing, and uh, you probably have a lot of other ideas you're developing, I would think. I do. I'm working on a second novel. There's a third, which is actually the second one is in revision, and the third is started. Um, I think part of the reason that it was an 11-year journey is because I started out, as it, as you mentioned in the short story form, in the literary journals. Mm -hmm. So I embarked on my novel as if it was a short story. And you cannot write a novel like it's a short story. So I had to sort of learn the form and then write the book. Right, right. So I have to ask you, with the, the story itself, is there a family connection to this? Is there some some truth to this, or is this just a totally invented tale? There is definitely some truth to it. It is a family story. I used to call it my family history mystery. Um, when I was younger, I was talking to my grandmother, and you know, back in those days, when she was young, everything was not discussed. We mm. don't talk about that. So she told me that her father had left when she was two, and she had no idea why. And so that had been when 
the internet had just started <laughs> and finding anything was very difficult. Mm -hmm. But I went about find, you know, going to research. I went to the libraries um, to find out who he was and and why things may have happened. And I was able to find out um, that my great grandparents were married. And I was able to find out um, that he had TB, but that I don't believe my great grandmother knew that. And so most of the story from there is fictionalized. Right, right. Very interesting. Yeah. So where in Greece was, was he from? He was from a place called, now I, you got to bear with my pr uh, pronunciation here, anybody who's Greek, because I've been told I don't say it quite correctly, but a place called Filiatria in Greece, which is near Patras. Okay. On the west side of Greece. Okay. The only, uh, I've made one trip to Greece. Of course, you fly into Athens, and I saw the Acropolis and all that. But then I immediately got on a boat and toured the Cyclades, so floating around from island to island. Never got that's, up. Never that got, sounds nice. Yeah, it was. It was a great trip and, and uh, beautiful. Why would anybody leave there and come to America? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. No, but uh, the, the era that this occurs in, 1913, so it's before, the, before World War I, before the flu epidemic. And so maybe talk a little bit about TB. I know that that was, uh, like I just watched uh, um, a movie with Doc Holliday in it and a story about him. And of course he dies from TB or so we think. So that was uh, a scourge for quite a while. Yes, I, and has always been. And that's one of the things that um, I learned in my research and I believe is even mentioned in the book somewhere that TB has been around forever. And they were complaining in that era that, you know, they were able to control the plague. They were able to control smallpox to a small degree. But TB just went rampant and was not really able to be treated. And nobody could figure out why and what was going on with it. It was a little while before they, you know, um, were able to discover antibiotics and how that might help. Um, and at the time, they were doing some crazy things to try to, you know, heal this disease of the lungs. Yeah. Yeah. So, and people would be quarantined into asylums, were they not? Yes. In the beginning, they weren't. Um, but as the research went on and they realized that it was indeed um, contagious, they decided to quarantine people. And they started with the, you know, the poor and the immigrants and those people to get them, you know, they figured living too closely in tenements was part of the problem. So um, it got so bad that they would even just kind of take you. Mm. What was the survival rate of TB, do you know? I don't have the numbers, but I know it wasn't high. I mean, there was a lot of incident of someone coming down with TB, going to a sanatorium, especially if you were more wealthy, um, living there for six months, a year, two years, three years, seeming better, being allowed to go home, and then you would end up back there. So I, it was a pretty high mortality rate. Yeah, it was almost a death sentence. Yeah, yes. Terrible, terrible disease. I, I remember, I guess as a kid, didn't we get like, um, they, they, the, the shot was different. I think it was like a little, uh, had like three or four little needles to it, and they poked it in yep, your arm. That was the TB, the TB shot when I was a yes. kid in school. <laughs> yep, the four-pronged vaccination. There I remember you go. Well. Yes, yes, we might be Thank dating. goodness we have it. Yes, and I'm dating myself because I, I was having that back in the 70s in, in grade school. I'm dating so, myself too. <laughs> so um, tell us a little more about the, um, the 
difficulty here that this young couple had. Um, you know, they're, they're going to elope. Why did they have to elope? And, and a little more about the plot and the circumstance. Sure. Well, as you can imagine, back in the 1913s, it wasn't um, looked upon well if a white girl married an immigrant. In fact, one of the things that I learned was that anybody who was not of British descent would have been called black. So if you were Italian, you were black. If you were Greek, you were black. Um, and they were not very, well, America was not very welcoming of anyone they considered black or anyone they considered um, of Asian descent. So the reason they would have to elope is because it just would not have been accepted. Wow. I guess, uh, you know, my own experience with, with history and being of mostly German descent, I never really thought of it in those terms, but uh, do you think that was more um, more about class as opposed to race or, or a bit I of both? Think, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, money would solve the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So if you came over and you were a rich baron from Greece or from Italy, you would be more accepted. Um, but it really was just more ignorance because a lot of the people coming over as you mention or allude to, were poor. And they were coming looking for work. And over where they were, um, in their countries, they were plastered with, with notices and posters that said, you know, come to America, the streets are paved with gold, live the American dream. And then they would get here, and they, you know, ha had nowhere to be. And there were not good paying jobs. There were plenty of jobs for them, but they were horrible. Yeah. And there were no real rights. And they were making next to nothing and living in really tight quarters. And as a result, you know, they were getting ill, whether it be TB or the flu or, you know, any other illness. And so they were looked at upon as a scourge against America because they were, you know, unwashed and, and ill and bringing that over here. Give us your tired and poor. And we will be taking a break right now. I'm talking to J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrants. Sunbury Press Books is the home of independent and diverse authors. Check out the Agency Books imprint for detective stories, tales of law enforcement, espionage, terrorism, spy thrillers, and more. Among the works available, KGB Banker by William Burton McCormick, The Apologist, a Luke Lundy novel by A.A. A. Weiss, and Douglas Brody's Sand or a Once Upon a Time in the Jazz Age. Find these and other fascinating books at sunburypress.com. I'm back with J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrant's Wife, and uh, obviously from the title we're talking about immigrants, and we're back in the early 20th century. And uh, I am curious about uh, some of the things that you're saying. You know, as an historian, you know, one of the things that uh, I've looked deeply into is Pennsylvania history, which is a little different than Massachusetts history, but uh, especially Pennsylvania German, Pennsylvania Dutch history, and my ancestors being from the colonial era and Penn's colony being very welcoming to people of different faiths and, and traditions. Although we, you know, of course, had a big problem with Indian land grabs, but we <laughs> won't get into that. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania Germans were known for in Germantown was, was uh, the first declaration against slavery. And then for many, many years, the 
uh, the work on the Underground Railroad, a lot of Quakers and Pennsylvania Dutch involved in that. And so you sort of have the north-south thing going in American history where you think about the south as being more racist than the north. But then you do have in the north also this this angst against immigrants. And I think you see it as, as you're talking, uh, the 20th century immigrants, the ones that came over maybe the late 1800s into the era just before uh, World War I. Um, another wave. So the people that are here, you know, as you said, English, but also, um, you know, other people as well that have been here for generations versus the new people. So it always seems to be some kind of clash between the, you know, the old timers and the new people. Was there, um, you know, you talked about the, the this couple, one English, the other Greek. Uh, so among these, these, uh, the, the clash that's going on here. How did they? How did they get together? How did they actually uh, manage to circumvent this? Well, in in the real life story, I'm not sure, so I made that up for the novel. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was that as a Greek immigrant who worked on a um, vegetable stand, he would have regular clients, and he had one client who he was elderly, and he would help home with her produce over his lunch break. And that put him on the trolley that Anna would have ridden to go into um, uh, Quincy Market at the time and do her shopping. And so that's how they met um, in the book. It probably would have been a little more difficult to meet in real life, um, especially at that age of sort of courting age. But as I allude to in the book, you know, she she is going through the regular courting where her parents are trying to set her up with someone of her station, um, but she's not that type of person. And at that type of time, at that type of time, at that time, there were um, the suffrage movement was starting, mm-hmm. and there was a lot, as you mentioned, of I guess discomfort with the racism, and people were trying to, you know, get the black folk. They were trying to get the women's vote. So there were instances where people would go downtown and be in these discussions. Some would take place inside, some were more of a rally, and they might encounter each other that way. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess, right. You don't know how it happened in real life, but uh, you know, the novel, you write it the way that you do. Um, tell us some more about what happens with them as they come together as a family, uh, you know, obviously they get married and the child, uh, sounds like the father then is, is pulled away. Why? Um, but one day he's at work and he doesn't come home. And so the majority of the book is dual point of view where you are getting Anna's story of how she's struggling to survive Um, first as a single woman and then as a single mother, and she remains in the immigrant area. So she has the added challenge of being an outsider. Um, Even when Charles was around, she would have been considered an outsider. You know, as much as people talk about, you know, the British and the English and the American um, white not wanting to associate, as they would have put it, with... um, people from other ethnicities, 
people who came over wanted to maintain their heritage and their ethnicity. So they were very big on marrying within their ethnicity as well. So she struggles with living in an immigrant area where she is an outcast. And Charles, on the other hand, as she doesn't know, but the reader does, is at a TB sanatorium. Right. And of course, believes he's going to die and is struggling with having left the love of his life behind. And he meets some people there, which he tried not to do because he's tired of losing. He doesn't want to lose any more people in his life. Um, But he meets some people there and we watch his struggles with them. And as he struggles to consider whether he can get back home to Anna. Yeah. The the other thing that I've seen with uh, differences historically and reasons why there would have been angst between people um, has to do with faith and what denominations they are. So you're talking about a Greek, and you're talking about someone who is of English descent, so probably Episcopalian or maybe Presbyterian versus, actually, if they're in Quincy, Mass., they're probably um, Episcopalian, (laughs) old-fashioned, early, you know, Yankee... uh, church-going folk and the uh, the Greek immigrant Orthodox background. How, how much of that did you weave into the novel as far as I did put face? a little in there. Um, I did put a little where there's a, a part where um, Anna and Charles are trying to figure out what they're going to do about their faith. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I believe to be true, at least in my own family at the time, is people were fairly ignorant about other faiths. Yep. So their faith was the only faith. And Anna was... Episcopalian, but she was also under the belief that because she was Christian and everybody's, you know, you're supposed to love thy neighbor, that Charles would be welcomed with open arms as long as they were in the immigrant area. So they try to go to an Episcopalian um, church in the West End and uh, let the reader read about how that goes. But there's also the ignorance of what a Greek person would have had as a faith. So she didn't understand Greek Orthodox Church versus Catholic. She had been raised believing certain things about the Catholic Church, which really made her a little nervous. So there is a little bit of that weaved in. Yeah, yeah, and actually, it is, there's a lot of ignorance there, isn't there? Because if you know anything about uh, New Testament or Christian history, the Greeks have a lot to do with that. A lot of the letters <laughs> were to Greeks, were they not? Yes, they <laughs> so are. Why wouldn't we be uh, interacting with the Greeks? Anyway, yeah, I have some more to say about the Greeks, but I'm going to do it after the break. I'm talking to J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrant's Wife. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent, diverse authors. Hearth and Home Press brings you When I Listen to a Farmer by Pete Curran, a book of photos and stories from American farmers. Also check out Fly Fishing for Trout and Bass, a beginner's quick guide by Charles F. Johnson, and At Home, 92 home-based activities to keep adults and children busy, sane, and centered by Prudence Ingerman. Find these and other intriguing works at sunburypress.com. I'm back with J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrant's Wife, and we were talking about Greek immigrants. And I have to tell you, in our area, anytime you start talking about Greek immigrants, I immediately think of food. Because we have a Greek fest in Camp Hill, which is not far from here. Every year, my uh, my kids clamor for, hey, Dad, we got to go to the Greek fest because they have baklava, ice cream, they have... Uh, souvlaki, they have you know heroes, and of course you can get to take out dinners with the lamb and the uh, 
pastizio and some other things that are really, really good. Making so, me hungry. Yeah, it's like this <laughs> annual tradition. And I'm thinking when you're talking about angst between Greeks and English, it's like, come on, people, just eat some food together, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, getting back to the uh, getting back to the book, I, I know it's just come out. Uh, some people have started to get some copies. Uh, I know yours are probably still on the way. H- have you seen one yet, though? Have you seen one that a friend's gotten? <laughs> That's a funny story. I actually um, was I was wanted a book signed. Actually, a high school friend I haven't seen probably since high school, and he wanted a book signed. So I went over on my way back because it was literally on my route, and I sat at his kitchen table and I signed his book. And while I was doing it, I looked up at him and said. Oh my goodness, this is the first time I've held my own book. Everybody <laughs> else has my book except for me. Did you get a picture so, yeah. of yourself holding it at that point? Y- you would have thought, but no. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. You didn't get a picture the first time I you did. saw your book? No, nope, I didn't think of it, but I definitely will <laughs> oh, the next time I see it. That's funny. Yeah, unfortunately, the way this this works, I know I explained it to you in an email, uh, the way the distribution works. Sometimes people who order on Amazon get it quicker, or even if they order through our website and it's a retail order we call it uh it it goes quicker so sorry about that it's all right we want the book in the reader's hand i know what it says (laughs) that's awesome though and so what was your impression were you did you did you like it when you saw it you thought whoa yeah yes definitely i loved it it was it was beautiful it was you know it was just it was an experience that i have never had before right right so what do you have planned? Do you have any other events, uh, activities planned that you're thinking about? Maybe they haven't come to fruition yet, but you're, I you're do, hoping I do. for I do. I have um, a signing in my area in Cohasset, Massachusetts, set up for June 24th. Um, I have a couple of readings that are in the works um, at different local stores, mostly in towns where I have friends that I can stay with and then promote the book there. Um, I think my favorite so far is that I was out of town in Maine and they had opened a new wine bar and I was just, you know, looking at it online and reading all these things about the owner who just has great vision because the place it is in Maine is sort of, um, very rural, you know, you're, you're, you have your ice cream places, you have your seafood places, but a wine bar is a little out of place, but definitely wanted because it's a tourist town right. um, and she is looking to bring in musicians and she has a piano and she talks about you know the the live music on Thursdays Friday nights so I went up to her and said hey I have an idea what do you think of this and we decided that on I think it's August 14th in Sebago Maine I'm going to appear at her wine bar and do a reading and a signing so I'm pretty excited about that one hey you never know I, I always encourage authors to to try things that are, are different. And believe it or not, the best place to have a book signing is probably not the big bookstore with, you know, 10, 15,000 books in it and lots of traffic coming in and out to buy other books. Often you get bypassed. But when you are the feature and you're at a, a non-book location, you can often get a lot of attention. And also I always support uh, doing events at local and regional independent bookstores as much as possible because we want them to survive yes we do 
And of course, I'll have to find some. Um, I have a research list of the Greek fairs. So a lot of them are happening right now, and I didn't have any books to bring, so I'm not going. But they happen, as you said, annually. Yes. So I will be going to Greek festivals and Greek fairs in the area and possibly out of the area as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely check into that. And I think uh, one of the compelling things about the book is the title, The Immigrant's Wife. So you know, immigration back in the news too much for too long. And uh, so that seeing that, I think, will also be a hook you know, even though it's over a hundred years ago, the setting for your story, uh, it's still a lot of things apply. Well, true. And when I, you know, they, they talk, authors talk about, do you write for what's relevant at the time or do you write the story that you love? And I've always been of the opinion that you write the story that you're called to write, the one you have the passion about. And so I wrote the story under another title, um, and I thought, okay, obviously he's an Im immigrant, but it's Greek and, you know, how relevant is it today? And then as I, you know, had beta readers take a look at it, they were all saying, oh my gosh, this is so relevant. It's got the immigration and there's some of the same themes that you deal with now, except it's a different, um, oh, different influx of a different peoples. So it's not as sensitive. People aren't going to get as controversial about it and it'll probably open up the conversation in a way that allows people to have opinions that aren't immediately shot down and hopefully people will you know be able to talk and learn from each other and maybe you know it is a relevant book after all it sounds like the title of a hollywood movie or maybe a netflix miniseries i'm hoping you'll have to get on that <laughs> <laughs> we'll do we'll do what we can so in the last couple minutes here uh let me know what else are you writing? Give us kind of teases with a couple ideas. Yeah, well, I'm writing the no the next novel that I'm writing is exploring eugenics in America. So, what my I, I think my niche at this point is that I started to learn things about America that I never learned in school. So, when we learn about World War II, you know, we learn about the Nazis and we learn about Hitler. What we don't know or didn't know, I didn't know anyway was that we had a very strong eugenics program going on here in America that Hitler actually sent people over to learn from. So my next book is about an, a woman in her 80s who was a victim of forced sterilization in the 1940s and now is finding herself with Alzheimer's and no family to help her. And of course, you can imagine she's terrified to go back into the government system, so she wants to stay in her home. And we have a second character who, who is also another point of view character who is a social worker who is not really, she's on a track. She knows exactly what she wants to do and when she wants to do it. She has a fiance, but she knows she doesn't want to get married yet. She doesn't want to have children yet. And she's very rigid in those things. And then she is um, assigned to Miss Clara, our 80-year-old woman, and some of her thoughts and feelings change about everything. And it's sort of the story of how the two of them come together and what the meaning of family really is. Very good. Look forward to seeing that if you're going to submit it our way. And uh, Absolutely. All right. Well, we've been talking to J.B. Harris, the author of The Immigrant's Wife. I can't believe we're at the end already. I know. I thought it would be... More difficult than this was. It was a wonderful interview, and I thank you for that. Yes. Well, do me a favor and make sure you get a picture of yourself with the, the second book that you see. <laughs> I absolutely will. All right. 
Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.